0: Welcome to the Ordinary Black Girl Podcast.
1: Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the OPG Podcast. We are so happy to be back finally um, back recording. A lot of you guys have been like messaging us individually and stuff and telling us that you missed the show and honestly really, really missed recording as well um but you know 2020 has been hectic um very (laughs) yeah uh we the both of us are in a very like hectic time in our lives as are most people but like this year in particular was just it would have been like busy even without the pandemic yeah really intense um and so yeah it kind of just got away from us uh, we didn't really intend to stop recording. Uh, we don't intend to ever really like stop the show. Uh, we love doing this too much, but we really needed some time to, to take a break and decompress and get our lives together because some big things are happening. Um, so we figured we would just update you guys a little bit on what's been going on with us the past few months.
0: Okay, so what's been going on with me? Well, becoming a lawyer is a long process. So if you don't know, in Canada, just because you graduate from law school does not mean that, ta-da, now you're a lawyer. You have to go through a licensing process. So if you've been wondering what's been keeping me and Elsa busy is we are in the process of licensing to become full fledged lawyers. So I was studying for one of the two bar exams I have to write. Um, I'm like in a licensing program in January. I'll be starting work. So there's just been a lot of things going on job interviews bar exam studying and you know We we want we want black girls to flourish over here so we have to kind of prioritize Our careers a little bit and then uh, come back to the podcast when some things were organized. So yeah, that's just what's been going on with me sitting in my house, studying, reading, but I'm very excited to um, be back recording because we have a lot of really interesting things to talk Definitely. about. But yeah, what about you, Elsa? What have you been up to?
1: Yeah, I, I, the same, right? Like trying to get things back to like a regular space so that we can start actually recording again because things are just so chaotic for so long. Um, so I ended up getting a job at a really amazing firm that I'm really, really happy to be at. Um, all the way in Vancouver. So I am no longer in Winnipeg. Yeah. So (laughs) I moved out here a few months ago and I really love it. It's a really beautiful city. Uh, Moving in the middle of a pandemic was like definitely like weird. Um, It's definitely like strange being in a new city and not getting to like fully explore it. But also like had the pandemic not happened, like I also would not be where I am right now. So not so much complaining as saying that it's like it's quite strange um but it's a beautiful city i really love the work that i'm doing right now it's like really awesome just like in a good space i'm the happiest i've been in a while because the (laughs) the first half of the year was was really, really 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 rough um So yeah, happy about where I am. I'm living with uh, two really awesome roommates. Uh, Shout out to Amber and Amaka. And yeah, I'm just, I'm having a good time.
0: (laughs) Yeah, that's so good. No, the beginning of this year really was, was, it was rough, but things are definitely looking up. I'm so happy for you, Elsa, that you were able to get a job that you like and you're in a city that you like. Like things are definitely looking up over here for us so and demi also got a job
1: that she likes
0: So things are things are looking up a lot of the things that we were talking about wanting like just us like between ourselves Mm -hmm. we're like we've gotten the things that we wanted so yeah that's that's kind of a lot to be a lot to be thankful
1: i mean especially entering into this profession you're like told i guess not to be too picky to like take the you know whatever jobs you're offered not that there were a ton of people out there offering me jobs but like you know to like stick to your guns and like um go for what you're like most interested in and like work that's really meaningful to you um to to end up in a place like that is just it's incredible i'm super uber uber thankful
0: no definitely if you are trying to do social justice oriented work don't get discouraged. Like it can be a discouraging process because it's not it's not the road most traveled, but like set your intention on what it is you want. Because look, if we if we have to survive under capitalism, we need to find a way to be happy. Okay. We need Definitely. to find a way to do work that is meaningful to us so that we can be happy. So pursue pursue the kind of career and the kind of jobs that you actually want.
1: And I'd also say, I don't know, just like open call, like any you know buddy who's like struggling through law school right now having a rough time not really sure what they're gonna like end up doing where they're gonna end up is like super stressed out about that like I'm always open to speak to people so if you want to like dm me send me an email like wherever like I'm more than happy to talk about that because it was really a a struggle for me and, and I just I know how it feels and maybe I can offer some help or something
0: Yeah, definitely. It's really, it can be really discouraging. So, we totally empathize with anyone who's in that position. And if you, yeah, if you need advice or if you need help, like my DMs are open as well. Like, feel free. We totally, we totally get it. Yeah, we just wanted to offer some (laughs) explanation and just like give (laughs) you guys a fill in on where we've been and what we've been up to. And we hope that you all have been well also. So, that's kind of just what's been going on with us.
1: Yeah. So, this episode is and i'm sure you guys know this by the title it's about mental health um especially because like i keep saying 2020 has been very chaotic and very rough um and honestly honestly like law school was like honestly the past three years (laughs) but it like yeah um it it stayed rough it it didn't like i guess get good right away the way that Mm -hmm. i was expecting it to um and I think you and I have had a lot of conversations about like how we manage like our mental health issues specifically as black women. Like I feel like a lot of our struggles, if we talk, I guess, to the wrong people about them, the advice that we often get back is, oh, just like, you know, you're amazing. Like um, you should you should be confident about yourself. You're great. Like you're beautiful, you're wonderful. And that's not helpful because uh, I know those things, and <laughs> and, <laughs> and like it doesn't stop people from being racist or yeah. being misogynistic or just being generally shitty for you to tell me to be confident in myself. And so we're kind of like often at a loss about how do we how do we get through these struggles and. how do do we find happiness? And how do we actually address marginalization?
0: Yeah, no, definitely. I think our mental health struggles as, you know, ordinary Black girls growing up in very, like, white spaces basically is what birthed the idea for this podcast, right? Because Mm -hmm. like you said, you talk to the wrong people, you're in conversation with the wrong people, and you feel like your life experiences are not being validated Mm -hmm. and are not being taken seriously. Like, obviously I empathize for anyone who has like a self-esteem issue or like feels bad about themselves or whatever problem that they have with their mental health. But there's a very specific way in which um, patriarchy and racism and colorism and misogyny and misogynoir compound and affects the, the mental health of black women specifically. And when people kind of brush over that or make it less than it is, or try to dilute it to something that, try to pretend that it's like not as big of a deal as as it is, it can be really painful. So I think that's part of what made me, like what made us like want to have this podcast, to have a safe space for black girls to be like, you're not crazy. Like you're not imagining this stuff. Like this is real. Like, I'm not going to gaslight you and tell you colorism doesn't exist. I'm not going to gaslight you and tell you patriarchy does not exist. Like, I totally understand how these things influence your life. And Yeah. yeah, exactly. Just even the, like, acknowledgement. Like, and I think that's part of what made our friendship so beneficial for both of us is meeting each other. And, you know, obviously we met, we were both in law school, like, same year of law school, similar experiences. It brought so much validation to, like, okay, like, I'm not, I'm not crazy or something. Like there's Mm -hmm. other people having the same experience as me. And part of the, part of the experience is like that universal black girl experience. Right.
1: Yeah. I also feel like I, I don't know. I kind of just want to name a few things in order to like validate whoever's listening to this. Like when we talk about like the specific struggles of ordinary black girls, we're, we're talking about like, we're talking about school and being in, in predominantly white spaces. We're talking about like Um, getting jobs, we're talking about, like, our romantic lives, we're talking about body image, like, and, and the plethora of things, so I don't know, I just feel like it's helpful if I actually, like, say what those things are. Um, Yes. Because maybe that, like, that's always comforting to me when I hear people actually, like, name what it is, because it's really stressful, and it, like, really weighs on you a lot, you know? yeah and it's not all
0: i also want to have an optimistic message especially for um like the super young people that might be listening to this who are Mm -hmm. like in junior high high school like everything is better than junior high and high school like if you are a little black girl in some all white school like life will get better trust me Mm -hmm. like (laughs) high school like junior high don't even worry about that don't even worry about it like it's it's gonna get better so Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah. And I think like the problems change too. Like, you know, I think before starting university, it was like, oh my gosh, I'm like going to be alone for the rest of my life because I've like never had a romantic experience. I like haven't like met anyone ever that I've like been interested in. And then like, when you get to, (laughs) when you get to like our age, the problem morphs. It's not so much that you like, that people aren't attracted to you or interested in you. It's that you're like, I don't know about any of these men can offer me anything that I'm interested in. <laughs> Which is just like, I mean, dating generally. Honestly, you
0: know? no, it's so true. I saw something on Instagram, like I saved a story that reminded me of what you just said. I'm gonna find it really quickly because okay. it's like very relevant to what you just said. Okay, yeah, so then the quote is, um, and it's this is from Farida D, author on Instagram. And it just says, if my feminism intimidates your masculinity, ask yourself why your masculinity is contingent upon oppressing me. So, yes, like that that's the stuff that gets hard. That's, yes. that's so the kind of issues that you have as a, you know, grown woman who, you know, is an, an eligible bachelorette, you know, men are coming up to you, men want to men holla, men want to talk to you, they want to take you out, but the masculinity is fragile. It's it's. We
1: were talking about this the other day, and you were talking about how you were talking to a certain someone, and they were saying... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> they were saying how, like, oh, um, I thought, like, feminists weren't even, like, interested in relationships with men.
0: The ignorance. It's uh, it's so difficult to even... It It all connects, right? You're constantly trying to, like, police how people see you like you have to organize yourself in such a way that you're not off putting to people right like I feel like women learn learn to do that but black women have to do that so much more mm-hmm. because anything black women engage in is like seen as aggressive like no one is afraid of Taylor Swift's feminism you know no one is afraid of you know some little white girls feminism but then black girls are feminists and they're like you got you hate men you want to you want to hurt men you don't even want men you don't even like do, do you know what I mean like I feel like anything black women get behind there's a level of like aggression and like anti-ness put towards that thing so you're constantly having to explain i'm not anti-man i'm anti-patriarchy
1: but i also feel like that's like girl boss feminism versus like actually critiquing the patriarchy and like men being trash feminism you know like there's nothing intimidating about girl boss feminism and there's nothing like helpful about it either
0: Yeah, no, it's true. I do think that, I think it's difficult, too, because, like, culturally, some of those traditional values that make interpersonal relationships with men difficult Mm -hmm. are more embedded in, like, Black cultures, especially, like, African Black cultures, so that's what's hard, is that you saying you're a feminist to some oimbo white man, you know that's one thing. If you now tell one African man that is expecting you to cook him <laughs> fufu every day that you don't subscribe to that life, you're gonna have a lot of problems. Like it's just difficult because those things are not as they haven't infiltrated our cultures as much. So then the saw... men are just like taken aback. No, what were you gonna say?
1: No, I, sa- I saw this tweet today, and it was like. Related to my entire experience, my entire life is somehow, <laughs> and she was like, um, "Oh, I didn't realize that speaking my mind and telling you how I feel was disrespectful." Wow. 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 We were
0: talking about this. This is true. Sure. Like even when this is the thing when. We were talking about this. When a woman is upset, you have to be like, okay, like, how do I have to, like, communicate my upsetness so that I don't, like, hurt this other person's feelings? Even though they hurt my feelings first, (laughs) I have to be nice to them in how I tell them that they hurt my feelings first.
1: Yeah, like, men will really be like, I didn't like that you were upset (laughs) at me being mean to you
0: what's that i wish we were lying i wish (laughs) i want i want this to be a lie i want this to be a joke
2: i saw this
1: i saw this tiktok (laughs) and and it was just like this girl who who was talking to her boyfriend she was talking to herself but she was like Mm -hmm. pretending to be a, a girl and a guy and making fun of um heterosexual relationships And she was like oh like i know that you're really upset and that like you're dealing with a lot right now but like i i'd like really appreciate it if you would like text me um when you know you've been away for like a few days because it makes me really anxious and then like i don't know what happened to you (laughs) 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 so many catfires. (laughs) sorry and then the man responds saying something like oh so i'm just like a shitty person
0: The communication skills are so lacking. Like, you literally ask, and it's, like, even communication-wise, you're like, oh, like, you know, I'd appreciate it if you checked in with me, like, more than once a month. And the person is like, <laughs> whoa, 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 like, why are you, you put so much pressure on me? Like, what, are we married?
1: <laughs> like,
0: this has happened to me more than once. Like, no, men are just...
1: Men are weird. But the thing is, I think it's oh. also... Um, Like, to be fair to men, I think they just don't have good relationships.
0: They don't have good relationship skills.
1: This is how women, like, treat each other. Like, we check in and, and we're like, oh, I haven't heard from you in a while. Are you okay? Like, the amount of times when, like, you know, sometimes I'm really busy, but sometimes I'm going through a low point and, like, one of my closest friends will message me and be like, "Hey, like, I haven't heard from you in like a week. Like, are you okay? Like, you're are you in a good space? Are you just like busy? Do you need to talk? Like, you know, we like women know how to like love each other and care for each other."
0: Yeah, no, I totally agree. Um, I think men are used to receiving love from female people, and I and men men know this, right? Like, everyone's always like every you know famous person anyone anyone who's anyone is always like thanks to my mom for loving me and all this stuff and then they'll always be like my dad taught me how to work hard like they never talk about how their dad loved them it's always like my mom loved me my dad gave me things right so it's very like we know women are good at love but I don't know what it is about masculinity that doesn't make those men then repeat the actions that they saw the women in their lives do that was loving, right? So, like, mm-hmm. men see their, their their mothers or their sisters doing all these things that are loving, but then for some reason, re- like, replicating that loving behavior is not masculine enough. Like,
1: yeah,
0: I it's and the, so it's not masculine to love people. Like,
1: I just I'm confused. No, I guess not properly. That actually, what you just said reminded me of like two different things, right? So, I heard this thing that, like, if you ask a man um like what do you love about like a woman in his life he like lists the things that that woman does for him which is like a very like I feel like that's like what you get when you ask children why they love somebody Mm. whereas like I don't know when you ask women they're like listing attributes about that person that like makes them like special whatever
0: yeah I definitely think like if you are trying to go towards that like feminist like egalitarian kind of love Mm -hmm. it does have to be based on who the person is Mm
1: -hmm.
0: and not so much more than what the person does for you because obviously in any healthy relationship you'll be doing things for one another Mm -hmm. right that's an act of love you you do things for me i do things for you it's all beautiful but also when there's a respect i understand you're your own person so right like you might appreciate your partner doing something that you don't even participate in doing with them. You're just like, Mm -hmm. Oh, I love it that you have that thing that makes you happy. I love it that you can do this and it makes you happy, right? Like it doesn't have anything to do with me. It doesn't benefit me, but I can see that it makes the other person happy. I feel like for men, it's very much based on how well, I give to them Mm -hmm. even when they are not willing to give me back any of those things like it's
1: very confusing (laughs) here is my second point so (laughs) I saw (laughs) I was watching this video on YouTube and it was like this this black couple and they had two other black couples on and one of those black couples was like Kev on stage and his wife Mm -hmm. and the conversation was like like marriage really is the ghetto like that's just like how i feel at this point it really is just there's not much to look forward to is there uh it's so it was so disheartening um so basically gosh it just showed that like what you see in like a lot of these marriages is just that the woman just gives to the man over, yeah. and, over and over again and then, so on this like episode, when they asked the wo- the women like, what makes them happy, like what like uh what do they get from like their men that makes them happy, or what would they like more of and and they really said, one of them said it, and then the rest just agreed. they were like, "You know what, just a thank you. just a thank-
2: just a, just a thank you. Just a thank
1: you just a thank,
2: thank you.
0: you. sorry in beyonce's 2020 you're asking men for just a thank you oh i can't i'm done actually
1: yeah <laughs> i'm so over it. it's actually disgusting i'm actually just disgusted. <laughs> the ghetto wow Whoever like, nobody caught this. it nobody, nobody saw a problem with it. What? I was like scrolling to the com- the comments below and everyone was like this is such great marriage advice. I was like wow.
0: The slavery some people are doing and calling it marriage. As for me and my household, we will not be participating in that. Thank you very much.
1: Imagine. Thank you. All I want is so thank I'm gonna you. give you my like, my devotion, my love, all the attention I could possibly give you, all the support I could and- possibly give you. Raise your children, feed you, like take care of the home, support you in your dreams that like don't even make sense. You're uprooting our lives because this is what they were talking about. You're uprooting our lives, moving us to a different city. I have no idea what's going on. I'm like praying for you, all this stuff, and the only thing I want back is this you know why this
0: is a problem let me explain why this is a problem because the reverse would never happen Mm -hmm. could you imagine a man doing one thing for his wife and he's like all i wanted was a thank you no that's (laughs) men have never asked for so little in the history of since men even adam i'm sure he was like eve why didn't you put some 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 spices on the apple you gave me (laughs) like it's never enough. It's never enough. The guy is never going to say, Oh, I wish it was just a thank you. Like, no, he's going to say you should do this. Like they will give you tangible things. They want you to do. They will never just say, Oh, all I want is a thank you. All I want is a, it's never going to be that simple. Like, and that's what I'm saying. Like the, I'm not even saying don't have a, a care ethic and a kindness ethic towards your husband, that kind of mentality would actually be so beautiful if it was reciprocal.
1: That's all, that's all we're asking for. Just a little reciprocity.
0: It would be so beautiful if you knew that the reverse was true and that all he would ask you for is a thank you as well. Then it would be reciprocal and everybody would be happy. But that's not even how the world works. So like, obviously you can tell we're very passionate about this issue. Mm -hmm. Um, Sorry, I just started thinking
1: about Lauren Hill. (laughs) Tell me who I have to be, honestly, to get some red (laughs) reciprocity.
0: Honestly, like, who do you have to be? How do you get some reciprocity from these men that will? We're gonna do like a whole like series on this topic on like love and feminism as a topic in the new year. So that's we're we're gonna we're gonna dive deep into this stuff. We're gonna probably a little sneak peek because we have a lot of opinions and thoughts. We're probably gonna put some stuff. On our Instagram as well to get you guys engaged as well, to get mm. some like feedback, some topics. Y'all can tell us some of the crazy things you've heard because this world we live in with men is always wild. It's always something. They're always saying something crazy, you know? <laughs> always doing something. But um <laughs> always, always doing something. But you know what? Like I'm first of all, in 2021, like one of my goals is to have men take up less space <laughs> in my yeah. mind yeah. and in my mental well-being. Um. So I like...
1: recently just reached a a, a a new place of like contentment. I think, and like, it's just like meeting what like the man of my dreams or whatever is just like it's not. It's not something I get to choose, you know. Like, if anything, like the like the best relationships I've had, the strongest connections that I've had, most of the time have been like very serendipitous, very just like. It just happens mm-hmm. um and so I might as well just like pursue the things that make me happy not because they will r- result in me finding a man but because that's that's life <laughs> there are no other options <laughs> just, no. just yeah I, to-
0: I totally agree it's very much like yeah very I agree very serendipitous like you can't force things to happen and honestly like the kind of man i'm looking for like is must be very enlightened for his kind because the kind of conversations that we're having here i don't want to be explaining to somebody why i'm going to need more than a thank you you know so <laughs> he's going to need to come to the table with a, with a lot of understanding already do you know what i mean yeah. so i'm i'm a, i'm going to be patient i'm going to be patient i'm a, i'm going to wait <laughs> i'm going to wait for the right type of person <laughs> because i don't have energy to be explaining to somebody's son why i need more than thank you i just that is not my ministry that is not why god took his time to craft and create me and place me in this earth is to be asking men for measly little thank yous like no 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 no. we we're, we're aiming higher than that so i think like just even in mind, explaining
1: yeah. how uh, like feminists don't hate men like if i have to have that conversation we're not going to right like, literally let's just not bother let's not even bother
0: yeah no I don't what about if something about me asking that we have a equal equitable egalitarian whatever word you want to use relationship makes you feel that I'm being unfair to you I think that's something you have to go figure out in therapy because
1: that doesn't make sense can I also say though I feel like I mean this is a conversation you and I have like been having a lot recently and like I'm sure other people have yeah but like I don't think I ever really like when I was taking my women and gender studies classes and stuff in undergrad was looking at romantic relationships with a feminist lens like, it just like never occurred to me to do that until I kind of reached this point of my life and then I was like oh and I think. I, I, maybe it was like me not fully realizing how shitty men were right off the bat.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think, I think I, like I saw, like, I mean the very basic things of just like, oh, like division of labor, the second shift, yeah, yeah. like those things, like very tangible ways in which women just like do more domestic labor. Like that was yeah. very evident to me, but I think some, some of the other implications of just like, how much patriarchy and like toxic masculinity cut men off from loving well in general yeah that's what i mean like it didn't dawn on me until i like as i got older and i had more relationships and more exposure to people and just like even talk to guys Mm -hmm. i think and that's the thing that's really unfortunate i saw a study actually that was like feminists like men heterosexual people men in relationships with feminist women um report happier like relationships and like better sex lives and all this stuff so Mm -hmm. I think the thing that's unfortunate is that men don't realize that patriarchy harms men as well yeah right like all this you have to be a man you can't cry crying is for snitches crying is for you know what I mean like all of that bravado all of that toxic masculinity makes it hard to have a meaningful relationship in general
1: and, like, on top of that, I just find it really strange that this whole, like, like, this submission domination scheme that anybody thinks that, like, a healthy relationship can come out of something so rigid.
0: I, I definitely agree. And I think that, yeah, I think that submission domination scheme, like, definitely, because it's, Honestly, hasn't been that long in history since men have been asked to stop seeing wives as like an extension of their children, basically. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And I yeah. think that kind of like, even though people wouldn't say that that's what they think. Right. Um, It's evident in their behavior and what they end up expecting of their wives and their partners and their girlfriends or whatever, that that mm-hmm. is what they think, that they think that the level of, um, superiority that they have over their wives or whatever submission they expect like the only other relationship that that makes any sense in is like a parent-child relationship yeah so are you saying that your wife is your big ba- like you know like, it's mm-hmm. so it doesn't make sense
1: <laughs> and it's just like how like how is that even like fulfilling for a man to like be in a relationship with somebody who like isn't your equal like I just that Oh, but no, we had a conversation about this the other day. We did, you and I. Mm. We talking about social capital. Yes. We get into that again. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Wait, what did I say about social capital? Oh, about- like that marriage gives people social, social capital. Yes. Because it's the same way that, you know, like all of, you know, those of us that have African parents already know, like, mm-hmm. your parents want you to do well in life in part so they can be like, look at my children. I didn't know great. <laughs> I didn't know fantastic. See my smart my smart girls." um they want you to do and i feel like a lot of times too like with heterosexuality it can be similar like a guy wants you to just be a trophy like look at my wife isn't
1: she great uh, oh yeah how, look at how impressive she is and then actually i was talking to one of my male friends who's like a, a an incredible person He was just giving me lots of life advice and stuff and helping me work through my issues because i don't have a therapist i know that's problematic but you know we don't get there um <laughs> but he was talking about how like yeah a lot of men will look at women and be like like super impressed by all the things you have going on but only so that they can go to their friends and be like look at this girl that I got look at how impressive she is and like she submits to me yeah
0: it's not that you want that person to necessarily like flourish and be their best selves it's that it's the dominance again right like you get some kind of like, the man in that situation, he gets some kind of benefit of knowing that he has dominance over that person. And bell hooks already told us that, like, love and dominance cannot coexist. Mm-hmm. Um, so it makes, it makes, it makes relationships and dating really difficult. But, you know, we move, nonetheless. <laughs> we, we keep moving, because, you know, life, life goes on. But we have to. I mean, these are conversations that you you don't really get to the end of because there's a lot of people (laughs) that think this way, right? Mm -hmm. Like there's a lot of people and you can like, you know, cocoon and insulate yourself only so much. Like you're, you come up, you come up up against these people, even if only like in conversation, even if only like they're a friend of your friend, like the people that have these views are everywhere. It's still dominant.
1: It's still dominant for sure. I am thankful. Like the thing that like does give me hope is like, you know growing up in the home that I grew up in and like also the male like friends in my life who are actually like you know I I see what they're doing and I'm like yeah that's wonderful that's great you know they give me they give me hope um so I'm like yeah like unproblematic people exist like obviously not completely unproblematic we're all problematic (laughs) but yeah
0: yeah no definitely so I mean these things all, the you know, the the pandemic and the career and the dating, all of these things weigh on our mental health, as I'm sure they weigh on yours as well. And I don't even know when it was. Was this in September that we had a
1: conversation with Nana? Girl, yeah, I, I really do <laughs> not know. It's we, been a while. Yeah, that episode has, like, been been in the works for a while
0: (laughs) for a while because we recorded our interview with her which was super interesting Mm -hmm. um and really helpful as well she's a social worker so she had some really useful insights um we recorded our episode with her and then obviously we're recording this part now so Mm -hmm. um yeah but it'll it'll all flow together because like it, it all it all connects we just wanted to have like a bit of a candid conversation about where our mental health is at and we also wanted to give you guys you know the luxury of hearing us banter back and forth because we're funny <laughs> <laughs> we're smart we're entertaining
1: yeah <laughs> and like well we have soothing voices very soothing voices <laughs>
0: And I think this will give you guys also like the conversation we just had will give people a sense of what's to come for the podcast mm-hmm. and kind of just like the things that are on our mind. Because honestly, this podcast was born out of conversations like the one we just had. We just get on the phone and be talking. We just be talking about life, relationships, mm-hmm. the sky, the moon, all of it. Like, what is is mm-hmm. what what is life? Why are we here? Why, why men? Why do they exist? Like, <laughs> all kinds of questions. <laughs>
1: yeah with, with all the specifics i don't know i think we're gonna need to at one point bring in bring in some juiciness bring in some some more of the candidness that we have when we're talking just you know for, what you just can't we name it. Po- we can't name projects. names but we will put the juicy behind a, a paywall yeah
0: we will like <laughs> we right. will this this podcast is always going to be a little like oh he he ha ha when like we when there's a like a larger following like yeah. catch me on patreon dishing out <laughs> like much more candid information yeah. like full tea right this is just yeah. like this is just this is for the world wide web
1: yeah but also for everyone also, just to yeah. know like if you know us and we know you and you're listening to this and it sounds like it might be your situation or it might <laughs> be you that we're talking about it probably is <laughs> yeah if you
0: feel like Wow, the, the man they're describing could be me. Don't be him. Change, change your ways. <laughs> you know, the path is here for you. You know, it's narrow, but it's it's the right path. Pick the right path. Today is a new day. Right? Like if you hear yourself and the men we're describing, don't be the don't be like those men. Don't be don't be that guy. Not in 2021. That is that is soon approaching, you know?
1: Exactly.
0: So yeah, it was nice to um catch up with you all we're going to um um segue into the interview portion of this episode for a deeper mental health dive so stay listen to our interview with nana you'll really enjoy it it was nice talking to all of you and our next episode will be back
1: when elsa sometime in january we will be producing season two and all that season two will have to offer.
0: Yeah, we're really excited to get back into podcasting. And these conversations are really fun and very necessary. So mm-hmm. nice to catch up with you all. And yeah, enjoy the interview. Hi, Nana. Thank you so much for taking the time to be with us today. So for the first question, could you just like tell us a bit about yourself, who you are and what you do for work?
2: Yeah, so... um like you said, my name's Nana. Um, and outside of work, um, I'm a friend, I'm a sister, um, and I do like a bit of like woodworking activities as well as gardening. So those are things I enjoy doing outside of work. Um, and currently, I work as a forensic social worker at a forensic mental health facility here in Calgary. So I do court ordered mental health assessments on people who've committed crimes, and the Crown is. Wanting them to undergo a psychological assessment to determine what's happening. So um, there's like pre sentence risk assessments, pre trial NCR, pre trial assessments. So those are the main um, types of mental health assessments I complete on people. So yeah.
1: Okay, not to say that like the work that you do for a living isn't super cool, but woodworking, I had no idea. That's really awesome.
2: <laughs> well, Demi can tell you a bit more about that. <laughs>
0: Yeah, you have like lots of cool little knickknacks in your apartment. So yeah,
1: good job. <laughs> so uh, what made you decide to become a social worker?
2: Uh, when I was growing up, like, I felt that there was like a need for like racialized people to be in like frontline social work roles. Um, and also I was looking for a profession where I could like work with people one-on-one and also um, be in a role where I could like advocate and like facilitate change. Um, especially knowing that lots of social issues stem from like more of like a macro level. That's what I would say drew me to social work practice.
0: That's so interesting. And you kind of touched on it a bit, just like in what you just said, in terms of how you wanted to, like being like a Black woman, you thought that would be valuable just because there isn't a lot of like racialized people providing social work services. But I'm just wondering if you can speak a bit more to what your experience has been in social work, like as a Black woman.
2: Mm-hmm. Like, I really enjoyed social work school. I went to, like, Mount Royal University for two years and then switched to the U of C. The uh, school aspect of social work, I found that, like, overall, I provided a kumbaya version of what social work really is. Intersections weren't really highlighted the way they should have been um, in terms of, like, you know, I did, like, a social work and mental health class, but, like, we never discussed, like, social determinants of health like racism as a social determinant of health sexism so i found that those like key topics were like not included in the programming which i found to be a little difficult being like a racialized female in a predominantly white field of work and especially in a field of work that oftentimes helps marginalize people and so in that case that's why i found social work to be in terms of school Um, and in terms of work, uh, social work is, it's so hard to explain, but like in the working environment, I found social work to be a lot different from school. (laughs) Like, I think that I went into social work expecting it to be like working with other people who shared similar beliefs as me, other people who were also like working to dismantle these systems, other people who like didn't have like racist ideologies or who are able to bring intersectionalism into their own practice, but um, I found that like one thing I struggle with as like a social worker and like being employed is that you know I meet many social workers who don't really hold these values in their practice, um, which I find quite disheartening um, in considering the fact that we work with vulnerable people who need you know, practitioners who hold these values of like anti-racism work and, you know, dismantling systems of oppression and stuff. So
1: given these barriers that you've discussed, do you think it's difficult for racialized women in particular to find mental health and community resources?
2: yes uh, one because uh there aren't many like racialized like therapists that i'm personally aware of that work in community practice who can offer services to like this very unique group of people and two i also find that some of the practice models used by practitioners who may not be racialized tends to be very eurocentric um and doesn't really like encapsulate like the experiences and the difficulties of like racialized women so i find that that's why it's a bit difficult for like that specific group of people to find services in community um, especially if you're looking for like affordable um, attainable types of like mental health support i feel like that's quite difficult however i'm sure people have like, moved into like private practice and like look there they'd be able to find like a practitioner who would like be better suited to their needs but that's also like 280 bucks per session
0: yeah the the cost barriers are really ridiculous and Mm -hmm. like what advice would you have for for black women who are trying to find like good mental health services if they are going like that private route and they're looking for like a therapist or counselor what are good questions to ask to ensure that you're finding someone that can actually help you deal with the problems you're having
2: yeah one thing that i really recommend is have like a like pre-session with a therapist uh, that's usually free of charge it's about 30 minutes long where you can kind of discuss what your concerns are what you're hoping to obtain from therapy um, and what you're hoping that therapist has for you and so what i think is really good for me personally is like asking that therapist what their experience is like what groups of people that they've worked with are they comfortable like you know, being able to journey with me through, like, my difficulties with this, this, and that, um, and just making them very specific, because people need to understand that, like, therapy is a fee for service. If you ask your therapist questions about, you know, whether they're comfortable discussing, you know, helping you discuss, like, themes of racism, and they're not comfortable, then, you know, it's, it's okay to go elsewhere and find, um, services from somewhere else. But it's important to just make it clear to your therapist what you're looking for, what you're hoping to obtain from therapy, um, and kind of go from there. And if you have to do like six consultations, that's totally okay, because it is expensive. And there's no point in spending money on, you know, a therapist who may not actually be able to support you and your needs at the time.
1: So if therapy isn 't accessible or if people are looking for extra things they can do themselves to help care for their own mental health, what would you recommend
2: well that 's a really good question. Um, I think that for it depends on the individual um, and what you know works for them. I think that the number one thing i 'd say is like grounding yourself and bringing your, yourself back to activities you enjoy doing so i think that that looks different for everyone but it could be like exercising journaling um you know keeping in touch with friends who like you know check up on you and and, you know see that you're doing well if it's reconnecting with family so i think that that's one of the biggest things is like yeah going back to things that make you feel well i think that one thing that's really benefited me is just being like intentional in my practice um so one the ways i practice intentionality is by literally having like grounding mechanisms every single time i go to work it's like i do like deep breathing exercises before i go to work Um, like i pray before i go to work Uh, i try and meditate like twice a week and then i have like um like little like they're called like grounding words i have like in like my bedroom and at work just to remind me of myself like remind myself to stay grounded um stay calm and stuff. So those are some things that people can utilize. Yeah.
0: Going off of that, I know that um, like sometimes the self-care space gets like this accusation of being very like whitewashed or like very Eurocentric. And there's like a lot more mental health discussion happening online and stuff. So people might recommend, oh, like do yoga, do this like journaling practice, do all these things. Do you have any like comment on kind of, I guess, like, the Eurocentric view of, like, self-care, and do you think that that might make it harder for people who maybe don't want to do those certain things to, like, access what self-care looks like for them?
2: Yeah, I think that that's totally, like, and very much a valid, uh, Point. And I think that the standard of health care, I mean, the standard of um, self-care is very Eurocentric, I mean, here. Um, and I think that that can cause barriers to certain people, because, like, I mean, I remember, like, talking to my parents and, like, asking them, like, what their self-care practices were, like, why aren't you biking? Why aren't you hiking? Why aren't you doing all these things? But, like, their self-care practices oftentimes revolve around, like, being with, like, their friends, you know, having barbecues, like, once a week, Um, going to church, going to small groups. So like their their self-care practices are like rooted in social activities with other people who are like them who share similar values to them. And so I think that that's another thing that people need to keep in mind is that, and like even other like mental health professionals that, you know, self-care isn't limited to like exercising, yoga, um, you know, hiking and all these things. It kind of differs from person to person. So I think that you raised a really good point there, Demi, in, like, you know, identifying that, you know, your centric practices may not work for everyone. However, there are other ways people can, um, you know, work on their self-care. And, like, even, like, when I like, talk to my parents, like, spiritual self-care is really important to them, right? So going to church is really important. Um, and spiritual care um self-care may not be as important in western culture but is important to some other people in different cultures as well
0: yeah to that point about you talking about your parents that reminds me of when I was talking to my mom (laughs) and she was like (laughs) she's like when I have anxiety I just push it out I just push it away I was like okay I'll, I'll try that next time I'm anxious I'll just be like go away. I push you away now. So yeah, our parents might have different models, but you know, self-care is still
2: self-care. So. Mm -hmm. Exactly.
1: Exactly. Okay. So the final question we have for you is, um, what can we do to begin the process of healing from racism? And do you think it's possible to heal from racism? Because it is this compounding issue. um, And there isn't this like definitive end date. So Mm -hmm. what can we do to deal with the effects of racism and colorism, et cetera?
2: Mm -hmm. So to answer your two questions, I personally don't think we can necessarily fully heal from the effects of racism um, and colorism. I think that what we can do is, like, build coping skills to deal with, like, racism on a daily basis. And so like coping skills can be anything from like debriefing things that happen with you with the like, people you trust. Um, it could be like tailoring your social media feed so that it, you know, features and highlights people who look like you, people who are also doing advocacy work, people who share similar values as you. Um, because I think that racism, it, it's, it's so entrenched in our society that I have a hard time seeing it being completely like eradicated. But I think that you know the more enlightened we become, um, the more we can you know work towards like dismantling this these systems within our own lives and like within our social s- circles as well. Um, and in terms of like your question about like how do we begin to like heal from racism and like the effects of it, I think that a big thing for me is just, like learning to unpack what we've been thought. Um, it's like learning to unpack like you know why like, you know, my grandma makes comments about like, you know, don't spend too much time outside because you'll be darker or learning to unpack, you know, comments that we've, you know, internalized about our hair and the way we look and stuff. And so I've found that like really therapeutic um, and unpacking that with other um, racialized people and like sharing those experiences, holding space for those experiences and like how do we like move on from that. Um, And another thing that I've felt very beneficial it's also like addressing my own perceptions of myself and why do I think the things I do about myself and kind of deconstructing these harmful notions that are so heavily like internalized deconstructing racism can be so so heavy and I find so like I find myself so bogged down when I consistently have to like be like confronted with racist behaviors or and all these things but one thing that I've been really focusing on is like the micro meso macro level like how can how do i view myself like in my own circle of friends like what is like what are how do we view ourselves in, within that circle how are we working to deconstruct these notions and on a macro level like it's obviously a larger societal level but like what do i do that contributes to these like racist or colorist um behaviors as well so that's how I try and look at it. It is very overwhelming and um, can be so daunting and so heavy. But I think that the best place to start is from yourself and kind of move out from there and also connecting with people who understand you and like know where you're coming from.
1: That, that was such an insightful answer. I think that you gave us so much to think about. I really appreciated that point about like the social media thing and kind of curating your own social media because I know that like a lot of people talk about how like basically like Instagram has just like made them sadder but I think when you have um, images that you're you know seeing every day that are affirming or people who are doing the kind of work you care about that is really really great I also appreciate that the distinctions between macro meso, and micro Mm-hmm. um and like understanding what you do and and don't have control over like I just think that's so amazing and really thankful that that you came on to our our show today to to speak with us on these issues your insights really valuable so thank you
0: yeah thank you Nana. it's really great to have you on and like you said like talking to people for example who have had similar experiences for you because I know like one of the biggest problems I have with like Discussing racism and dealing with racism is just, like, the gaslighting. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Even just having, like, this space, for example, where I can talk about my issues and have, like, the viewers and, like, the guests and everybody and Elsa be like, yes, me too. I know what you're talking about. You Mm -hmm. aren't crazy. That does happen. It is true. Colorism does exist, right? Like, just having people validate your life experience really does help as well. So... Um, Yeah, thank you again, Nana. We hope that this episode can really help you guys. And we hope that this space in general is helpful to you, to your mental health. But yeah, you know, it's also, it's been a really heavy summer with all the Black Lives Matter stuff happening as well. So, you know, take the space you need, take the breaks that you need. And yeah, thank you guys for listening to our episode.